1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. And no matter what the culture tells us, if we read the book and follow the instructions, we'll see that. In Galatians 3, 28 and 29, we read this in the New Testament. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither free nor slave. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring's and heirs according to the promise. When it comes to salvation
2: Senior Pastor here at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would like to encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his Family Matters teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along with us as we hear Part 2 of Pastor Keith's message, It Takes a Good Wife.
1: Father, we thank you for this day, this day when we can celebrate Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the power to change lives and eternal destinies, the power to transform people like us into the people you want us to be as we become less like our old self and more like Jesus. And as you take common everyday people like us by the power of your spirit, guided by your word, encouraged by one another, you do uncommon things through us. Lord, we commit this service to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just so you'll know, because I was asked before I got, when I was in the hallway, there are 50 questions to ask your husband out there, right? So there might be a typo or two in it, because we edited some of those questions, but uh, just so you know. And um, and for those of you who are wondering, uh, yes, I made it out of the building safely last Sunday, you know, as we preach on this topic of submission, wives, submit to your husbands, because it's a hard topic. It's a complicated topic, particularly in the era in which we live. For one reason, as we talked about last week, women have it rough. We talked about this. Women have had it rough throughout history, and I just want to review some of that so we can sort of understand where we're coming from. And if this is your first time with us, you'll want to go to the website and listen to the sermon from last week because it set up the sermon for this week. And you'll understand where we're coming from. But we've just walked through history from the Garden of Eden when Adam tried to throw Eve under the bus and said to God, this is the woman that you gave to me. It's all her fault and it's all your fault. And it continued on. We looked at world religions like Islam where it takes two ladies to testify, testimony to equal a man's testimony in court. And we talked about how world religion has been rough on women. Hinduism with the temple prostitutes, the Devatsi girls, 250,000 of them in India right now, 70,000 in one province alone. Civilized culture, so-called Roman culture, we read that letter from a Roman centurion where he said, you know, if our child is born, if it's a boy, take care of it, if it's a girl, expose it. And expose means leave her outside and let her die of exposure. Civilization has been rough on women. And we say, well, that was then, but this is now. But we understood that's just not true. Civilized culture, even women, we talked about Madonna and, and Miley Cyrus and Lady Gaga, you know, dressing like 16-year-old girls and Madonna's older than I am. And Miley Cyrus is trying to dress like Madonna and Lady Gaga. And, the, you know, the tra- tragedy is, particularly with Lady Gaga, she wasn't born that way. She is a magnificent pianist. If any of you know her background, probably a conservatory-level pianist, she can sing, and there's no need for her to dress that way, but our culture sexualizes and objectifies women, and we're to- we tell them, you want to be empowered? Dress unusually. No, you want to be empowered? Be who you are. And so, this is it's a tough media cultural icons. We talked about... Harvey Weinstein, if you've been watching that play out in the news, I think we have a slide about him. Um, Here he is, one of the most powerful men in Hollywood, and he's a serial abuser. Bill Clinton, Bill Cosby, these three men, movers and shakers. Nobody wants to tackle them. Nobody wants to challenge them. And they got away with murder for the longest time. And I, I was reading in New York Magazine this weekend, I read a lot of different periodicals and newspapers every week to stay up on the culture and there was a writer writing about, well, it really wasn't the time to, to confront Harvey Weinstein's treatment of women. It was a woman writing, and I thought, gee, even women have it rough from women. Because you think about this, all these people, all these Hollywood stars and starlets, if there's such a word, coming out saying, we've known about this, but we just didn't want to deal with it. You know, I think back to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and the Civil Rights Movement, and if they had had that attitude, nothing would have changed. You, it's not that it's, it doesn't have to be easy to confront evil. It just has to be confronted. And we don't have the choice of punting. But that's the culture we live in. And that's why this culture has been rough on women. And so you think about all these big, powerful people. But you know what? There are other people who make it tough on women, too. I used a, yeah, the garden variety knothead right there, like me. You know? I remember about a week ago, I came home, I was kind of in a flurry, I was sitting down with dinner with my family, and texts were coming over the phone, and my phone was beeping because I can't make the notification shut off because I'm a a technological, functional illiterate, and I'm looking over there, and, and Terry's like, you know, focus on the family, you know, and she's having to kind of reel me in, you know, guys, regular guys. Disappointing guys do disappointing things and they allow interruptions at the dinner table. Women have it rough. Women have it rough. They've had it rough. They have it rough. They're going to have rough until Jesus returns. And then you have the caricatures. For those of us who grew up in the 60s and 70s, the old ball and chain, remember that? That really maintains and enhances their self-esteem and makes them feel loved and respected. Or sayings like, women, who can understand them? You know, that's really good. That sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? Well, God expects us to understand them because they're created in the image and likeness of God just like we are men. And we're to love and respect and cherish those that God has loaned to us, whether they're our wives or our children. So for two weeks, for those of you who are here, I worked on the husbands. And now for two weeks, this is our second week, I'm going to kind of work on the wives. But the bottom line is, women have been mischaracterized and caricatured by almost every culture in the world, including our own sophisticated culture. <clears throat> and that gives women a lot in common with Christianity. And why is that? Well, because Christianity is mischaracterized and, 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 and caricatured and misrepresented. And, and, you know, and we talked about this last week. Our society tells us that Christianity oppresses women, our culture tells us that Christianity demeans and dehumanizes women. And so what we had to do last week as part of our introduction was do a survey of what the Bible has to say about women. I'm not going to go through the whole survey again or there will be a part three to this message. But remember that in Genesis it said male and female he created them. In the image of God he created them and called them man or mankind or humanity. Starting from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, women are said to be created in the image and likeness of God of the same essence and nature that men are. We are unique beings in this world. We are human persons, created in an image and likeness of God. We went elsewhere into Proverbs. Again, the Old Testament, people like to create a false dichotomy between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. It's one Jesus, right? And the Old Testament the New Testament look at women in the same way. My son, keep your father's commandment and do not forsake your mother's teaching. It's repeated time and time again. The Bible esteems and exalts women. Because God has called them to a high calling. And no matter what the culture tells us, if we read the book and follow the instructions, we'll see that. In Galatians 3, 28 and 29, we read this in the New Testament. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither free nor slave. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring's and heirs according to the promise. When it comes to salvation, equal in nature and essence equally precious, different roles and goals in the home and in the church, understandably. Everybody has a role to play, but all are one in Christ. There is no Greek, there is no Jew, there is no slave, there is no free, there is no male, there is no female, there is no black, there is no white, there is no Asian. We are all one in Christ, all created in the image and likeness of God. That's what the Bible teaches. So don't let anybody... Try to tell you otherwise. Even in Ephesians, uh, and, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as you love your own body. There's the call to love sacrificially and intelligently. First Peter 3.7, we studied this last week. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. Live with them according to knowledge. Value them. Understand them. So we wanted to set the record straight last week. And use that as an entryway, as a segue into the discussion. We've been talking about family matters here. and We're going to be talking about family matters for a while. We started with marriage first. Who brought marriage into existence? God, what it's for. It's for community and the care of the culture and the environment. It's for, it's for fellowship. It's a husband and wife becoming one person. That's what God ordained. And then we talked about it takes a good husband to make a good marriage. It takes a good wife to make a good marriage, and so goes the marriage, so goes the family, so goes the family, so goes the church, so goes the church, so goes the culture, as the church changes the culture, one soul, one conversion at a time. And that's why we're talking about family matters, because as we've already seen in the last four or five weeks, the family is, the, is essential to the survival of civilization. And so we began this discussion of it takes a good wife to make a good marriage, takes a good woman to make a good marriage. And I backed up for you, if you recall, you know, when we jumped into Ephesians five twenty-five to 32 and 33 to talk about men, it takes a good husband to make a good marriage, takes a team, right? I didn't give you a lot of background on Ephesians, but last week we did, and we went from Ephesians chapter 1 to Ephesians chapter 6 in 36 and a half minutes, but who's counting, right? But what we saw was, you know, there's this whole discourse about be careful how you walk, be imitators of God, walk with wisdom, know the will of God, live out your faith in a transforming way. We saw this whole discourse that begins chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 with the glory of God and the goodness of God and His salvation. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 where it talks all about how to live out your faith in a world-changing, unity-building world changing unity building transforming way. And we saw that what Ephesians is about, it's not just about unity, that's one theme in Ephesians, but what Ephesians is about is about worship and warfare. Worshiping God, living lives of worship, and so engaging in spiritual warfare. And we saw how it said, uh, submit to others out of reverence for Christ. It's an act of worship. And we saw the examples that were given. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children submit to your parents. Employees or servants submit to your employers or masters. And there's an order that God has ordained. Wives submit to the husbands. Husbands sacrifice for their wives. Children obey their parents. Parents don't cause their children to stumble. Employees obey their employers. Employers treat their employees with respect. There's this order of worship that makes up all of society And so we just kind of worked through all that. Women have it rough, but women also have a high calling in the Christian faith because they are part of a relationship that is foundational to the survival of this world as men and women in marriage take the gospel out to their children, to their neighbors, to their workplace, to the classrooms, to the neighborhoods, and beyond. And they are part of that team. And so we got around to the idea after all that setup. And after all this setup, it takes a good wife to make a good marriage. And we gave there were, and we gave, and we began to talk about three reasons why are the characteristics of a good wife. Because a good wife, first and foremost, sees the larger eternal picture. A good wife sees the larger eternal pictures. That was point number one. Where did we see that? We saw that in Ephesians five seventeen to twenty two. Therefore, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then we followed that down to Ephesians 6.1, right? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might that you may be able to resist the schemes of the devil. And what we see here is, is that life is worship. And what we saw is we are to live lives of worship. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There's an obedience aspect of that. When we obey God, we worship God. When we honor God, we respect his commands. And we began to understand the marital relationships and their place in living lives of worship as a couple and as a family in this world. And we also recognized it was a form of spiritual warfare where the stakes are very high. And that's why we said that a good wife sees the larger eternal picture. In terms of witness to the world, witness inside and outside the family, witness to the children, but also witness to the husbands. And where to, how did we find that? Witness to the husbands, we talked about 1 Peter 3, 1-2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Not all husbands are created equal. Not all husbands in a marital relationship are saved. Not all husbands in a marital relationship are equally wise. And sometimes you have a good woman married to a not-so-good guy. If you're like me, I'm married up. And, And sometimes I don't act the way that I should and my wife is called by God to set the example for me. Not to complain, not to nag, whatever that word means. Nag usually means pointing out to us the things we don't want to hear. But to set an example for us to follow in those situations and circumstances. Wives submit to your own husbands, that they may be one without a word. We went to first Corinthians seven thirteen and sixteen A. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and she consents to and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? as I talked about then, I'll remind you now, I can't tell you how many baptisms I've been to where a guy is about to get dunked, And he talks about how his wife, who got saved, who became a Christ follower before he did, through her conduct, through her love, through her example and devotion to God, she pointed him to Christ. You see, it takes a good wife to make a good marriage because a good wife sees the larger eternal picture. She understands that it's not about her, it's about God. And what she's called to do in the marriage is an act of worship to God, not an act of slavery to this guy that she's married to. And so now we're caught up. And now we're going to move into the last two characteristics of a good wife, the last two reasons why it takes a good wife to make a good marriage. Number two, a good wife trusts and obeys God. A good wife trusts and obeys God. No matter what's going on, because she sees the eternal picture... Because she understands who God is and how God is and who Christ is and how Christ is. She's able to trust him and follow Christ. We see this in Ephesians 5, 21 and 22. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Well, how did I get that? A good wife trusts and obeys Christ, God. Because what she does, she, because she reveres Christ, because she has embraced Christ, because she understands Christ, she's able to submit to this guy who's imperfect. She understands the role that this guy plays in the family. He's Christ of the family like we talked about. He's not a perfect Christ, but he's a Christ figure. And so she does what she does out of reverence for Christ. Because she trusted Christ for salvation, she can trust him for guidance in marriage. She trusted him for eternal life. She can trust him in all things, particularly in the ministry and trials to which he has called her inside and outside the marriage you know if you don't trust christ if you don't embrace christ as your savior you can't follow him in your life and when this fallen broken world throws slings and arrows at you when you get the occasional curveball or a broken bone or a broken heart if you don't trust christ if you don't trust him for salvation you can't trust him and obey him in the midst of the storm in the midst of the trial and that's why it takes a good wife to make a good marriage because she trusts and obeys god she does what she does for him as to the Lord. Serving Christ, she follows and respects her husband's leadership. And she tries to honor God's structure and entrust herself to God's care through the husband that he has loaned to her, realizing her husband is accountable for his decisions and his choices and his sins. That's why it says in Ephesians five twenty-two to 24 Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should should submit to their husbands in everything. And this in everything, you know what it means? It means in everything. It's not saying that he's a, a slave master or a dictator in the marriage. It means this, that somebody has to lead, somebody has to make the final decision. And and God has ordained marriage to be a picture of Christ and the church. Christ is the head of the church. The church follows Christ. And the marriage is to be a testimony, is to be an example, is to be a model for the church. And as the church is to follow Christ, and as Christ loves and sacrifices for the church, the husband loves and sacrifices for his wife, he lives with her according to an acquired, astute knowledge of who she is and how she is, and what her needs are. And there's nothing he wouldn't do for her good. And the church and the wife follows. That's the picture. That's the picture that your marriage and my marriage, guys and ladies, is supposed to paint for our children and our grandchildren and our nieces and our nephews and our neighbors. While I was on vacation, I read a book two times. Read it twice. How to Witness to Muslims. What's that got to do with marriage? It's like this. Muslims see all kinds of bad examples of Christians in the world. And so they're very, very suspicious. They remember the Crusades that the Roman Catholic Church did. They've seen a lot of things in, around the world. They've been set upon by their own people in, in Raqqa and in Syria, Iraq, different places. And when you tell them they're, you're a Christian, they want to know that you mean what you say. They want to know that you really do believe that Christ is the only way to salvation and that you have bet the ranch on him, that you're all in with him. And the way they're going to tell that is how you live and relate to other people Well, it's the same with your own family, with your children, with your co-workers. And we say that we're Christians or a Christian husband or a Christian wife. But do we really trust and obey God? Even when it's hard to, even when it's not convenient, even when it hurts. And so this submission here that we we found in Ephesians, it's a comprehensive trust and reverence and obedience to Christ and a submission to the husband in everything. Not just when it's easy. But also when it's hard. When you think about submission, submission isn't doing what you want to. That's easy. Submission is doing what you don't want to because you need to. And so a good wife follows God's pattern and providence. Trusting and learning the higher purposes and outcomes are God's responsibilities. She obeys God's command to follow her husband, to respect her husband as her husband tries to follow Christ. And you say, ouch, there's that submission word. Well, you have to say that again. As I look at it in the Bible and I translate it into English, I'm like, can't we find another word? You can't, because that's what that word means. Somebody's out there, well, Pastor Keith, what are you, a caveman? This is the 21st century. But you know what? This whole thing, this whole theme of submission is consistent throughout the Bible. It is. Some people try to say, well, you know, Ephesians, the church at Ephesus had some unique problems there. And that's even why this stuff shows up in the pastoral epistles in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But the bottom line is, that's just not true. This was the same policy of the church, the same practice of Jesus Christ in Corinth, in Ephesus, and even in Colossae. In Colossians three sixteen and 18, we read this. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Worship. That's what we're talking about, worship and warfare. And whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him.
2: Pastor Keith Crosby on this special edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast.
1: Hello everyone and thank you for listening today. In the uncertainty of the COVID-19 crisis, many people within the Hillside Church community and all over Santa Clara County are in the middle of financial hardship, and we need to pray for them. And we would ask you to pray for us as well. We want to thank you for listening and supporting this ministry, but it is a listener-supported ministry, and in as much as we covet your prayers, we also ask you to consider a financial contribution to the ongoing work of this radio broadcast. Grace to Live Radio provides encouragement to so many people in the outside world who can't make it to church, and you can be part of that ministry by supporting us financially as you support us prayerfully. This is Keith Crosby, and I want to thank you for your prayers and your encouragement.
2: If you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org.